We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. Hello and welcome to another Fremont Pod. I am John Kurtz, joined as always by Derek Young of K-State Online, Cole Manbeck, former beat writer for the Manhattan Mercury, and welcome into your post Oklahoma high. Let's just continue riding that high on into the week with uh, with three miles. We will relive this. I hope many of you got a chance to uh, listen to our instant reaction pod when literally BJ handed us a headset the second the game was done. And uh, Cole was just fresh off of a couple tequila shots from a Texas fan. And, you know, things got a little things got a little crazy. All right. Cole may have said that the entire college football world <laughs> runs through Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, you know, it was it was a little off the rail. So, Dy, I would like to start. I did you did you have any opportunity to listen to our, our post game show? Were you too embarrassed to even bear the thought of listening to us gloating after uh, an Oklahoma win? Like, what what was your perspective on all of this? I haven't watched the post game show. I actually watched the pregame show yesterday. It was a little hectic because I was driving back from Norman. I drove to Topeka to hop on with uh, KSNT for a little bit, then drove back to Manhattan and then put up some more content. I haven't watched the post game show. I've heard the, the stories. I think I heard the clip and watched the clip of Cole saying college football runs through <laughs> Manhattan, Kansas. And uh, <laughs> You know, angry at his uh, neighbor, I think, or something. Know, a mother at the school, a mother at the school. We 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 got home uh, to my friend's house uh, from from the bars that night, and he put it on right away. He put the show on the TV and made us rewatch it. And uh, it, I cringed when I watched some of the things I said, especially. I, let, let's be clear. I misspoke. I blame that on the tequila shot. I did not mean that the Forget college Athens, football Georgia, world. Manhattan, did, Kansas, baby. I was meant, a 360 I, vodka shot. You mean that's what it was? Yes, yes. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. Uh, I meant that college football in the state of Kansas runs through Manhattan and uh, obviously left out a few key words there, but we were pretty hyped. Uh, it was an exciting time. Otherwise, I mean, I thought it was fun, you know, and you mentioned the pregame. If you guys have had a chance to check it out, it's also on our YouTube page. Uh, we've tweeted it out a couple times where you can watch the pregame show where we interviewed Naquan Tomlin and Marquise Noel of the men's basketball team. And uh, it's around the seven minute mark and on in. I think you guys will uh, enjoy that interview. Very, very likable guys. Great representatives of Kansas State. Uh, half the basketball team showed up to Tanner's. It was a lot of fun. We had a great time with them. Uh, so be sure to check that out as well. In addition to uh, the immediate reaction post game pod, I was trying to pull up here. We speaking of the the post game pod. I think the best compliment I've ever received in my radio career came via tweet. Cole, what was it that guy tweeted at us? He was like, I couldn't couldn't tell if you guys. Yeah, here it is. Here it is. It was uh, it was Ryan Ryan Yerger, uh on Twitter. Shout out to him. He said, I can't tell if you guys were wasted or not. The vibes were that high. So that's the greatest compliment I think I've ever received for anything I've done. Totally sober, by the way. Stone yeah. sober. I mean, Cole, you know, I was, well, I was not. Sober. Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I was not. I did not pull a purchase a breathalyzer thing out of that machine right behind us at Tanner's. <laughs> that's right, but, there was, uh, yeah, Tanner's yeah, yeah. So I don't think I would have been under the uh, the limit by then. But uh, did not drive. Uh, friends, <laughs> we drove back, uh, rode back with some friends back to their place. So it was a great night, man. 
Oh, well, it was it was time. it was fun, man. That was that was as fun a night as I've had in a long time. That was that was really really fun. So shout out to everybody who came out to Tanner's. Uh, we appreciate you. Got to meet a bunch of people. Got to see a lot of old friends um, in Manhattan. It was it was a great night. Great night all the way around. And as you mentioned, there was plenty of 360 vodka going around as well. Shout out to a Holiday Distillery for the support that they give this podcast. Great K-State people. If you like vodka, get the 360 vodka. If you're more into bourbon, Ben Holiday Bottled and Bond Bourbon, make sure you check that out. And uh, thanks to them for helping bring this pod to you each and every week, as well as the live show at Tanner's. And speaking of that, we appreciate Tanner's and the hospitality that they show. Do a great job uh, the entire day as well. So Cole and I have really shared a lot of our thoughts, and, and obviously people got a, a big hefty dose of us on Saturday surrounding the game. Derek, you were there in Norman. Uh, I'm just going to give it to you pretty broad here. You can you can take this whichever direction you want. Uh, how, how did you perceive all of this? How did you take all of this in in the press box watching K-State beat Oklahoma? Yeah, it was, a, I mean, you're, as the away team and, and in that kind of game, very quiet press box, I would say, if anything. And that's an interesting setup to it, Oklahoma, because uh, you use the same elevators to get down as the coaches. So you, there's only a finite amount of time they allow you to go on the elevator. So you stay through the whole game and you don't go on the field and you get to the locker room a little or get to the press conference area a little bit later than you would otherwise. So it's different from just about every venue in that way. And then we still waited longer than typical for Chris Kleiman because um, in addition to speaking with Wyatt Thompson, like he does before every game, he's in the locker room with his team and they definitely spent a little bit more time. And the press area is right next to the locker room. And you, we get, so we could just hear the entire celebration, essentially not word for word, but you know, all the hooting and hollering um, from Kansas state, they probably did that for 20 to 30 minutes. They definitely had an extended celebration, loud music and, and stuff of that nature. And from the game itself, I don't know, because I've almost done some reflecting, you know, in the last, well, it hasn't been 48 hours yet, that I'm not trying to say that Kansas State dominated the game. And of course there was some nervous points, but because they never trailed, it just seemed like they controlled, you know, aside from maybe 10% nervousness, I think. And fans were probably more nervous than that because of Oklahoma's potential firepower on offense. But game control, that was in Kansas State's hands almost the entire way. Well, I was going to say, I mean, we were definitely nervous, but it was it was much more, yes, and like what could happen rather than yeah. what was happening. I mean, K-State had the – there was a – Cole, we looked it up right after the game. I think it was about a six-minute period where the game was tied at, at 14. And other than yeah. that, K-State was in the lead the entire way. And, uh, you know, defense giving up a couple of long drives there at the end pretty quick quickly uh, made it a little more nerve wracking than, than maybe it had to be. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like I here, here's, let me, let me lead the conversation down this road. Like we left the Tulane game thinking, I mean, that didn't really feel very fluky. Like K-State did not move the ball at all on offense, three of 20 on third and fourth down. Um, I guess maybe if you wanted to point toward fluky, that'd be the thing that you say, you're not always going to be that bad in short yardage, but it just felt like that was a, an extrapolation of the problems the offense had already had through the first couple of weeks of the season. So you left that game thinking, all right, that Tulane loss wasn't a fluke. Well, now you beat Oklahoma, and I kind of leave that game going, well, that didn't feel like a fluke. I mean, that felt like K-State was the, the better team, and, and that was the team that we thought could compete for a Big 12 championship this year. So which game was the fluke? <laughs> which game was the fluke? Like, what is this team? What, what do we make of that? It might be somewhere in the middle. You hope it's closer to the Oklahoma one. But like you said, I, I don't know if either one has to be a fluke. I think with Kansas State and with many schools in a Big 12, you can be that bad and you can be that good. Um, that's why this year is going to be pretty unpredictable. If you don't bring at least your big game, um, you're going to lose. And there's no gimmies in the Big 12. There's no nights off. It's funny that you say the word fluke and use that language because that's what Brent Venables used after the game. He said that was not a fluke. Kids, they went out and they beat us. They won that game. They didn't. We didn't lose it necessarily. He said they went and won it. So he used that language, and I guess I just thought of it too. Another point of the game where I, where I think a little thought the paranoia and nervousness was heightened was I think the score was twenty four to twenty, and I think Kansas State went two possessions there without scoring. I was like, oh, uh oh, here we go. Yeah, and that's when D.Y., the uh, Oklahoma had a fourth and five. They were going to go for it, the K-State 45, and we saw Oklahoma sub, and, and John and I were screaming for Kansas State to sub and, and just slowly jog onto the field, and they actually did it. They followed through, and I know you asked Chris Kleiman after the game that they 
they rep for those situations. They practice that. They get the delay a game, and they end up punting the ball. And then I, I believe K State goes down, gets a field goal, gets back up seven. And that was that was really key to the game as well is the defense's ability when Oklahoma drove a couple of different occasions and had an opportunity to tie the game or take the lead. Kansas State held them to field goals. Um, yeah, I didn't feel like the defense was lights out in this game. They missed a lot of tackles. Oklahoma's offense is obviously dynamic, so it's hard to blame them for that. Uh, but the defense buckled down inside that 25, 30 yard line and held them those field goals, which I thought was huge. They got off the field. That was they they, they weren't great. They didn't tackle well. Oklahoma makes it t- tackling tough. I mean, those guys, their offense is especially designed to get one-on-one matchups in the open field and make you tackle in the open field because it's difficult to do when those guys are Eric Gray and those guys are Marvin Mims. So tough to do. Julius Brents did a pretty good job of it. I think there was a few others that probably did. thought Desmond Purnell wasn't bad in, in that category. But at the end of the day, it was almost a bend but don't break type defensive performance, which that's probably what is required to contain Oklahoma, um, essentially. And, yeah, they got off the field. Oklahoma was 4 of 13 on third and fourth down, I want to say. Yes, yeah, I really – I know it wasn't like a quintessential dominant performance by the defense, and we would have fought going into the game. It probably would have taken that or a bunch of turnovers, and that wasn't the case. But in in a way, that almost just makes me feel better. I mean, K-State didn't totally have the fastball with the defense. They were were solid, but not not great, and still won. And obviously that's that's the offense coming alive, which is the real story of the game. But I I don't – I know that you can have some concerns about tackling. I don't leave that game really stressing too much about the defense. I don't either. It's funny, now looking back on it, they won the turnover battle by two at home against Tulane, lost. Um, turnover battles even on the road at Oklahoma and won. And the reality is they, they held Oklahoma to 27 points. They dropped into a prevent at the end there and gave up that touchdown um, that proved to eventually be meaningless. So 27 points in the first 59 minutes of game action against that OU offense – I think it's pretty solid. A uh, couple busted coverages that led to big plays, but outside of that. A lot of possessions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, what do you make then of the K-State offense, Derek? Like like watching it from up top, and I know you've rewatched the game now too. I mean, the story obviously is Adrian Martinez and deserves a, a ton of love, and regardless of what you think about the ins and outs and details of his performance, like to, to come back and respond that way after all the, the arrows that he took over the past week and has throughout his career. You know I mean? That's the thing we're, we're talking about like scar tissue that this guy has from his four years at Nebraska and then losing the Tulane game and how fans and idiots like us reacted throughout the week yeah. uh, for him to come out and do that. I mean, it's, it's incredible, but what did you see from up top in terms of what he was doing? I mean, he's the most scrutinized player in America for the last five years, probably. Or at least he's in the top 10 on that list and it hasn't slowed down since he's been at Kansas State. So to come out and do what he did, um, it was, he was, he missed a couple throws. Everyone's going to miss a couple. You take away those throws, you're always not going to be perfect, but it felt like a perfect performance in many ways. Five touchdowns, no turnovers. Um, Malik Knowles probably saved him for one pick. And that just kind of shows you the the tenacity that everyone played with, the intensity that everyone played with. They just played harder. They had more spirit. They had more energy. They had more intensity. I mean, Malik Knowles, that was a heck of a play. If you go back and look at it, that's a turnover. And, you know, the momentum was kind of on the side of Oklahoma already at that point. It felt like, too, after, you know, you were up 14 to nothing and, and stuff of that nature. And it was funny because he didn't just go up and like bat the ball like he decked that guy too. Like he made him, he made him pay for it. That was a pretty pretty big hit. And then he had the kick return. He had a touchdown catch. I think Kellis is the one that made the joke on Twitter. Malik Knowles was playing all three phases of the game because he played defense yeah. on that ball. So uh, uh, he had a good game. Deuce Vaughn even looked like he ran harder. I mean, it's a week after the cramp, so maybe he felt rejuvenated and 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 on that front. But he was running through tackles. His cuts were sharper. He made – I mean, Oklahoma has athletes, and he made their athletes look stupid on more than one occasion. But Adrian, it just felt like he was – you know, Joe Klanderman said during the week that what made the Oklahoma offense tough and what made Dylan Gabriel tough is that they were never wrong. Like, Dylan Gabriel knows that offense inside and out and knows how to execute it and direct it, that it's tough because he's never wrong. He's They're always right. They're always going to make the decision that puts you in a bind, and that's – Felt felt like that's what Adrian Martinez did to Oklahoma. 
than as good as he was with his arm. And that was very reassuring after the first three weeks. Don't get me wrong. He threw for 234 yards, pushed it downfield, and did everything they asked. He was, he was aggressive and uh, with his arm. But I, I still was more impressed with his legs, man, especially that 55-yard run on fourth and 16 – or third and 16. That um, He just looks like he had another gear. And he's running by, like I said, four or five-star Oklahoma athletes, uh, leaving them in the dust. He ran hard. He was running through tackles. He was absorbing contact. He was pushing piles as a runner to get extra yardage to make it a second short, third and short, or convert a first down. Everything that we felt was missing from Adrian Martinez in the first three games, um, he made up for it in spades in Norman, Oklahoma. I, I thought he showed more burst than we've seen all year by far. I mean, I, I, you think about the 55-yard run, DUI. I also think about that third and five at the 15-yard line when he pulls the ball out of Deuce's belly and he's got Oklahoma defenders flying at him and he splits that seam right up the middle and gashes in for 15 yards. That was really an incredible play. And I thought he showed a lot of explosiveness. You mentioned how hard he ran the 55-yard run, obviously outrunning the Oklahoma defense and all the angles there. I think about the third and 12 play and the first half when he scrambles and is hit by an Oklahoma defender four yards short of the first down. And he pushes the pile all the way for a first down. I mean, K-State converted a third and 16, a third and 12, a third and nine, a third and five. In that game, we talked about their third down struggles. Brock Heward mentioned on the broadcast that Kansas State coming to that game was one of 19 on the season in third and seven or longer. And they converted multiple third and longs in that game. Adrian was special. I rewatched the game twice already. It was an incredible performance. It shows a ton of character for him. We talked about that on the post game for all the criti- criticizing that he took through the week to respond in that fashion uh, is a pretty remarkable feat. And I think we all feel really, really good for him because he's an incredible dude. Everybody likes Adrian Martinez. And that was one of the better K-State performances I've seen from a quarterback in quite some time. And John, I'm curious what you think. I was trying to think as I watched the highlights and rewatched the game of Adrian running. I don't know if Kansas State's ever had a quarterback that's as fast as him. When you well, think, well, back. okay, perfect lead in here because the game that comes to mind, and I, I had this thought, and I meant to throw it out on the post game show, but you know, we were just, I had too many people on my list to to talk, you know, what to, so it got a little buried. But uh, 2001, L. Robertson. Now that was in a losing effort but a one point loss at Oklahoma. And that was Bob Stoops coming off of a national championship. Like that was really good Oklahoma. And that was L Roberson as a sophomore, um, but way before he even totally got it together. That was kind of a one-off and the rest of the season was not good, but L had this like dynamic performance where he was hitting Ricky Lloyd. Like, I don't know if Ricky Lloyd did anything else in his K-State career. I don't mean to take a side swipe at Ricky Lloyd, but he was just running all over Oklahoma. L was hitting him 50 yards down the field he had a couple of insane runs where he's dragging defenders and running past people. And L is L is the guy that would come to mind when we think about fastest K-State quarterbacks. Michael Bishop was more just power. Right. He was he was fast enough with power. Um, but L, straight line speed, I think is the fastest that I've seen. But Adrian's a little bit different. Like L feel, felt like a little more obviously fast. Adrian, perhaps there's more deception to it or just like it takes him once he gets accelerating, like his acceleration, I think is really good. I think Ella's a little bit more can go a little bit more horizontal than Adrian. I think Adrian is very much a vertical type runner, straight line. And, um, but I think L definitely had a little bit of the sideways stuff. And I don't know that Adrian has that. I think actually case you're a score fan, he brought up that it went Oklahoma game even before the game and said we kind of need that type of performance. So it's kind of funny that you said that. The only difference is, is actually, and this actually leads it more to Adrian, is I think L was still under 50% passing that game. Well, let, let me tell you something, D.Y. Bill Snyder's offense back in the late 90s, early 2000s, mm-hmm. as good as it was, uh, it was run, run, throw it 40 yards down the field. So the completion percentage, you go back and look at those. Jonathan Beasley had a year where he was like 39%. Um, L had an under 40% completion percentage year. Like they, yeah, anyway, that was, that was just. I mean, the way and you guys said it. I, and I'll, I'll go this far. I, I mean, it, that was, that was the best quarterback performance under the Chris Kleiman era. I don't think it's close. Um, as, as good a games that Skylar Thompson has had. Um, that was by far, I think the best quarterback performance in the Chris Kleiman era. 
He also, and this doesn't even show up on the stat sheet, and I think the offensive line was better than I gave them credit for during the game. So um, I'll throw that out there in case any of them are watching. I think I probably gave them a little too much flack. I think they were actually allowing Oklahoma to be aggressive in some cases and just letting Oklahoma's aggressiveness take themselves out of the play and out of the pocket because they trusted Adrian Martinez. Adrian just navigated the pocket perfectly, too, through all of that pressure and bought so much time. I think what – Look, the best play was the 55-yard run, don't get me wrong. But, man, the the play that got called back because of Christian Duffy yeah. being illegally downfield might have been his most impressive play of the night when he navigated that pressure, which I don't know how, escaped it, still found, uh, I think it was Philip Brooks, I want to yeah. say, for a first-down conversion. That was another third and long that could have been converted. That was, that was crazy good. He had the awareness to slide after the 55-yard run and stay in bounds and ran off another 20 seconds. Like, he could have easily ran out of bounds on that play or took another hit, and he didn't either. He slid in bounds after running 55 yards. So one of the things that blew me away, D.Y., and especially on the rewatch, was he stepped up in the pocket multiple times and made throws, kept his eyes downfield. I think of a completion in the second half to Ben Sennett downfield for 20-plus yards where he had a defender coming into Adrian's face, and he stands in there and makes the throw. First of all, I apologize to Ben Sennett. Okay, I'm going to apologize again. Although my criticism of Ben Sennett, to be fair, guys, was splitting him out at wide receiver. It's not Ben Sennett, the player. I didn't want him out wide. And did you know all four catches on Saturday were him lined up in a traditional tight end formation? Not the first one. The first okay, one fine. The <laughs> Whatever. Whatever, do I, I? I thought he was on the uh, on the line. No, he wasn't not. lined up with the offensive line? All right. Well, three three of the four then. Heck of a game by Ben Sennett. Um, four catches, 80 yards, leads the team, 20 yards a catch. Uh, incredible physicality he showed as well. So I think Kansas State's got something there at the tight end position. Um, it's found wow. some things. Wow. What yeah, a- now I Hold now on. I feel like they, they found something at the tight end position. D.Y. was right about Ben Sennett, all right? He was <laughs> he was saying the staff absolutely loved him. I didn't want to sidetrack. I do. I did owe an apology to him. I'm going to apologize multiple times because yeah, I apologize to the offensive line. This is the apology All right. episode. All right. Uh, apologize to Adrian Martinez and just everybody. I mean, just yeah, every, yeah. I just wrote the offense off as a whole. So uh, yeah, that was that but, was me. But but the thing with Adrian is rolling out of the pocket. The things that he did. First of all, you mentioned maneuvering the pocket, Dy. So he doesn't get sacked in that game. Uh, which is pretty incredible. Oklahoma, 4.3 sacks per game coming into that, ranking fifth in the country, 32 tackles for loss, uh, led the country. (laughs) What's that? They blitzed like every play. They blitzed him, and he sensed it. There was one play, and John was very frustrated by this play. I think we all were, where K-State was at their own 10, 9-yard line, and Adrian, they blitzed. The guy came untouched. Adrian sensed it from his blind side, rolled to his right, kept his eyes downfield, and heaved a 30-plus-yard pass to Cade Warner that hit him right in the hands uh, was a beautiful throw. Has to be caught. Was dropped, unfortunately. I mean, Adrian's stat line would have been much better if the Philip Brooks play isn't called back that you mentioned, D.Y., that went for 20 yards. And that pass goes for 30-plus yards to, to Cade Warner. He's over 300, probably. I don't know if uh, Adrian threw a touchdown this drive. I know they still scored. It might have been with his legs. But he also threw a ball to Brooks, which was one of those variations of a screen yep. the bubble up top where brooks dropped it and it's a touchdown if he scores yeah yeah you know he hit he hit philip brooks oh, and, on and, a beautiful and, and, oh, and D- sorry, i was just gonna enter dy they, they kicked a field goal on that drive that okay. that cost that was a four-point play yeah 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 they um he hit philip brooks rolling out on a design play for 20 yards on a beautiful throw right in stride um but but two throws really stood out to me and one of them was the philip brooks play dy he was rolling out and throwing across his body multiple times. And the touch that he put on his throw while outrunning the OU's defense, rolling out to his left, which is tremendously difficult for a right-handed quarterback. The Malik Knowles one, John, on third and eight, floats it right over the defender and completes it for a 13-yard pass. And then the Phillip Brooks one that we already talked about that was 17 yards down beyond the line of scrimmage that he completed in the air that was called back, unfortunately, um, you know, that, that kind of leads into a segue. I, you know, we had some people on the post game pod asking for stats, John, and I'm not going to throw all the numbers your way right now. We'll, we'll get into them here throughout the show, but I did rewatch the game, uh, really early this morning and I charted the throws, uh, of Adrian K-State completed nine passes that went for 10 or more yards. Eight of those went for 15 or more yards and five went for 20 or more yards. 
in that game. Um, Adrian attempted 15 passes that traveled beyond the line of scrimmage in the air, 10 or more yards. Pretty incredible because we know how much he checked it down before. There were only a couple checkdowns in this game. The other plays were designed bubble screens that went beyond the line of scrimmage or behind it to Phillip Brooks. Um, you know, as so I'm looking at the numbers here, seven passes attempted beyond 20 yards. That includes the, the PI on OU, the huge PI that they got pass interference on the Cade Warner play uh, that kind of offset the illegal man downfield to play before Phillip Brooks. So uh, K-State threw it downfield a lot, 11 passes that went 15 or more yards through the air. Uh, and they completed nine, like I mentioned, that went for 10 or more yards. Five went for 20 or more. K-State's offense produced 17 plays that went for 10 or more yards against Oklahoma. K-State had 24 plays combined in the first three games that went for 10 or more yards, excluding the, the defined garbage time stats against South Dakota and Missouri. And K-State's offense ran seven plays that went for 20 or more yards against Oklahoma. Um uh, they had seven plays of 20 or more yards in their first three games, excluding garbage time stats. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, so so Derek, is that I wanted to talk about Colin Klein specifically too here because he's another guy that took a lot of crap uh, over the last week after the performance against Tulane. It, it, how much of this was Adrian just not taking the checkdowns? Like I remember Brock Heward at one point in the game pointing out like, hey, there was a situation where last week that would have just been dumped off and instead Adrian bought time, found somebody down the field, made a play. Was it the same offense and Adrian's doing that? Or did Colin Klein make a lot of adjustments here? What did you see as far as what, what Colin did as the OC? I mean, they were better on 34th down. That, that really helps you no matter what. I Look, whenever an offense struggles, everyone just wants to blindly point the finger at the offensive coordinator anyway. I don't – I said it at the time, if I remember correctly. I don't think those were horribly called games. I still don't. Um, I know – Cole doesn't like the whole Ben Sinnott moving out wide thing. I, I don't disagree with that, uh, or at least maybe not at the quantity that they have done it up until this point. Like little things like that, I think you can quibble. But in terms of just game flow and what he's deciding to call and when outside of a shovel pass here and there that I didn't love, it's just I, I, I haven't had a problem with it. It's when your quarterback is executing and extending plays and is willing to be aggressive, you just look like a better offensive coordinator, even though the calls – between Oklahoma and South Dakota, Missouri, Tulane are not that different. 
they're really not other than, you know, I would say the flow of the games, game situations, because you're in a tight one with Oklahoma where you're kind of trading scores there at one point. So you, you kind of have to keep your foot on the gas a little bit more. So there's those types of differences between the two, but I just never felt bad about Klein or the way he was calling a game when you're so predictable on offense, so one dimensional, you're going to look bad as play caller. And there's nothing you could do about it. There's not, there's no magic bullet, magic pill that can really remedy that situation when you can't throw the ball further than five yards. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I expected that's what, that was my impression of it was it was just Adrian playing much better. And and not only that other guys executing, I mean, Malik. Nolan yeah. Or just playing harder. Yeah. Just yeah. playing harder. That helped. I actually just remembered another play and, You'll probably be able to tell me that they probably maybe it's another one of those four point plays. This one might be a little bit on Adrian. I don't know if you guys remember that swing pass to Deuce Vaughn where they just couldn't connect. I think that was a second or a third and long, or at least gets to the one yard line or the end zone that just drops. Either if you want to call it a deuce drop or Adrian misfiring, which I think he did a little bit on that throw. I don't think they got a touchdown that drive. I'm actually not. I don't know. Well, they, they got a field goal. Okay. Yeah, I'm not remembering that play. Specifically. Yeah, it was right before halftime. They ended up uh, they ran it. They ran they ran the ball in third and four. Then I think a QB run with Adrian, or it might have been Deuce. But I think it was Deuce. Up. It was Deuce, yeah. right? It was a yeah. So, I don't I don't think it was. A oh, run. that's the uh, end of half field goal, isn't it? Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. I definitely remember the third down play and being a little disappointed by that. Although Deuce was having a lot of luck, uh, making making one guy miss in the hole and then just blast. I mean that. That guy, I, you know, we could we we don't talk about Deuce all that much because he he's just we we've come to expect what he does. But I mean, the thing that was so damn impressive about him in that game, uh, we know he makes guys miss, and and that was you know there were a couple just aha moments where he did that. But he is so powerful, man. I mean, he just he will smack into four and five star Oklahoma linebackers, safeties, defenders, whatever, and just move the pile like move dudes. I mean, he. I don't, Chris Kleiman's been talking about it for years that he's just a complete back and people get this perception of him as being like a, just a shifty gadget gimmick guy. I mean, he is every bit of a feature running back where he will just slam you in between the tackles at, at like five foot six, man. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. And you know why he's going to play in the NFL is because he's a hell of a good, hell of a running back, even when he doesn't have the ball too. And look, he's going to have that. It's going to be more of a challenge at the next level because of his size. I get that. But and I know people want to see Deuce catch balls in the open field and be a threat in the passing game, but he's being eliminated by defenses in the passing game. So you kind of use that to toy with defenses and scheme up other open players, and they've done that this year. But they couldn't even put him out in as many passing routes as they wanted to because of how much Oklahoma was blitzing and and how fast they were getting to Martinez at times, especially at a certain juncture in the game. They had to leave Deuce Vaughn to block, and he did it. He freed up Martinez a couple of times in pass pro. He was incredible in pass protection. Uh, Brock Heward and Jason Benetti pointed it out multiple times. He's just an all-around complete player. Yeah, we probably don't talk about him enough. We just kind of take it for granted. I know I do sometimes because he's such a damn good player all around. Uh, he The cuts he made were so sharp. The, the defenders he were make, missing and the physicality that he ran with um, there were numerous runs of 10 or more yards from Deuce in that game where he was just the more physical player, uh, really just an incredible performance by him as well. Uh, and then, you know, we talked about the pass pro that kind of leads into offensive line as well. And D.Y., I know you mentioned you apologize to them. I, I did think watching live and on the rewatch, they played pretty well, especially when you factor in what that Oklahoma defense had done and Brent Venables coach defense and bringing stunts from all over the field and confusion. Was Brent Venables a defensive guy? I thought he, I think he is, but I couldn't tell on in, Saturday. In the adversity, that game, wondering, you know, in the adversity yeah. that group has been through. Taylor Portier out for the year. Uh, KT Levison last week cramps. Cooper BB this week cramps, and Andrew Langing didn't make the trip and want to figure out why that was the case. I assume that because he wasn't in the post game offensive line photo and he didn't go in when um, Cooper BB got injured or had was going through cramps. Dawson Del Forge has to come in. He's probably your eighth off of the lineman, you know, coming into the season and he holds up and I think about 10 or 11 snaps. So that they, they were put through the like absolute worst uh, situation because they're probably playing maybe the best front that they'll see all year. 
um, on the road in probably the best environment at that point of the game that they'll play in all year. And they did it while being as undergunned as they will be all year as well and still somehow found a way. Yeah, so let me throw you guys some more numbers on the offensive line and the pass protection. We know Oklahoma entered the game, 32 tackles for loss, led the country coming into it, 4.3 sacks per game. I mentioned they don't get a sack. They have four tackles for loss for a negative seven yards. It's really nothing. They were averaging 11 tackles for loss per game coming into that. Uh, So K-State was solid there. K-State hasn't allowed a sack, guys, in three games now against FBS opponents. So you take away the South Dakota game, Kansas State hasn't allowed a sack and their other three games, no other team in America, well, three other teams in America have done that. And there's Oregon and then two group of five smaller conference schools in Kansas State. And Oregon so pretty, top of line in the country. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's pretty incredible what they're doing. K-State ran for 275 yards against Oklahoma. That's the most against a Venables coach defense since the season opener in 2014 against Georgia. It's really remarkable what they did to them. Adrian Martinez, obviously 148 yards on the ground, Deuce over 100 yards as well. One more stat on that. K-State averaged 3.4 points per drive against Oklahoma. That's the second most points per drive against the Rent Venables coach defense since 2013, a span of 122 games. Only Ohio State's 4.1 points per drive in the college football playoff in 2020 was higher than that. Now, look, to be fair, I'll I'll preface that by saying we know it's his first year at Oklahoma. He doesn't have the same talent on the defensive side of the football that he had at Clemson, but it's still incredible what they did. That Oklahoma defense uh, might be a scheduling thing. They might not, they haven't played a lot of talent yet. So the numbers are probably inflated a bit, but I still think that's probably a decent defense that K-State faced. And the the only other number I'll throw out guys, John, and this is my last one, because we talked on post game. K-State ran 83 plays in that game, and that just felt alarmingly high. We're not used to seeing that. That was the most plays by K-State offense since the 2011 game at Oklahoma State when they lost 52-45. to Remember that game. That was a crazy night. Uh, They ran 90 plays that night. So most plays in a game in 11 seasons. Talked to Chris Klein. I wanted to run more plays, and it wasn't so much that it was hurry up that Kansas state ran much on Saturday. It was more so that they stayed on the field so much. You know, they had four. Yeah. They had four drives that produced points that went over 10 plays. They were in definitely that game. Going faster on Saturday night. Yeah. So. yeah, they were, they, they had 28 first downs against Oklahoma. That's the most K state's had against the power five opponent since 2015 against TCU. So this is a Kansas state podcast. So, Association, it is a Big 12 podcast, so we can talk that Kansas State owns Oklahoma at this point as well, I believe. Well, yes, okay, so I've got a, I've got a couple of things here. Yeah, we, we can certainly transition to that, DY. Although, I think, I think we covered that pretty well in post game, <laughs> the owning Oklahoma <laughs> part, uh, winning four of the last six in Norman and winning three of the last four overall. Climbing has won uh, three of four against them. But Cole, you brought up Venables and like, yeah, I know you were just talking about his defense, but this is, you guys know where my head's at. So I'm rewatching the game last night. And one thing I did not, I did not catch this at Tanner is that they showed this. Venables, I remember seeing during the week said that he had, he got a text from Bill Snyder after winning last week. And the text said like, Hey, congratulations on number three, go get number four. And then Snyder realized, Oh wait, they're playing K-State this week and said, you know, but not against us. Well, they show a graphic on the Fox broadcast like of supposedly the text messages. Now, I don't know if it was a recreation or if it was exactly what they were. But did you guys read those things? Brent Venables, I, Cole, I said he doesn't care about K-State. It's like Roy Williams. I don't give a bleep about North Carolina. Brent Venables doesn't give a bleep about K-State. Did you see it was you could see like the the top part of the last text, like Snyder had sent a longer text. And it was like Venables responded the same way each time where it was just like, yes, sir. Thanks, coach. Yes, sir. Thanks, coach. Don't even care about Bill Snyder. Got what Bill is- Snyder taught him everything he knows, you know, made him a player back in the early 90s when he was just a nothing dude from Salina. And here he's just going to give him the casual like, yes, sir, response every time a text comes in. No, no depth of conversation from Brent Venables in his text with uh, with Bill what, Snyder. What, what did I say on pregame, John? Brent Venables doesn't give a damn about Kansas State, so I don't give a damn about him anymore. I think that's how we phrased <laughs> I- it up. 
I do wonder if that's the kind of relationship a coach might, might have with all of his players, though. I don't know. Derek, just just go with it, Derek. Hammer this narrative through. Okay? <laughs> let's, let's not face any resistance on this. Let me just get this one off. I did delete a tweet on Saturday night. I I tweeted Venables and asked how that felt, loser. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, not even clever. I know that that I, I thought that's kind of what made that's it a fun, very ASU Grant kind of tweet too. <laughs> yeah, well, I deleted it. I I felt I felt like it was crossing the line. Dy, that's Grant postmortem to you. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of Grant, I had Grant FaceTime me at 3 a.m. when I was sitting in the near football. <laughs> really? Yeah. So shout out to Grant from uh, Bosco Boys, formerly. If uh, if he's listening, Grant FaceTimed me when I was sitting in the veneer parking lot, uh, waiting for the team to arrive at veneer, and uh, tweeted out that video of the team coming in, which was really refreshing and fun to see how excited those guys were and Chris Kleiman taking it in. But yes, I. I got a FaceTime call from Grant, who was grilling at 2.30 in the morning chicken. Grilling? He was grilling chicken at 2.30 in the morning. I love <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I don't know how that chicken turned out, but he's still alive. I've seen him tweet, so oh, he man. must have cooked it all right. Okay. Okay. Wow. What a what a scoop there, Cole. That's a great scoop. I don't know why we waited 37 minutes into this podcast to get that part hey, out there. but Hey, hey John, I, I want to ask you guys. Uh, before we do any more about Venables and OU, well, first on that win in general, DY, you I don't have any more about Venables and OU. He's okay, not, okay. He stepped down from Lincoln Riley. Dylan Gabriel is not Williams. more time. On every, okay. Every, right. every, every single thing that I told those losers during the offseason is true, and yet, you know, they're crimson glass <laughs> at the entire Yeah. So, so I want to ask you guys a couple questions. Uh, yeah. DY, you, you've been covering Kansas State now. Is it 2017? Was that your first year? Yes. Was that the best win of the Chris Kleiman era? Yes. That's, yeah, because it's got to be one of the three Oklahoma wins, probably. Well, yeah, I'm asking you basically, is that, did that feel better than 2019? Uh, I'm sure it felt better than 2020. I will, so I will definitely better than 2020. I think it was better than 2019 because that one just felt like fool's gold the entire time and paranoid. So I guess maybe this was just more enjoyable experience. I, I will, the only non Oklahoma game I would submit is well i mean there you know i think I, the mississippi state game meant a lot to me in 2019 i had a that that was really fun and it was so early in the era you were like hey we've got our guy this guy's gonna be great uh i mean 2019 kansas let's let's not forget about that game like we are k-state sellout crowd at the booth you know yeah i, I, I guess again, four years later, but. they're still ku so that, that at that point so that's why that one doesn't if i was to submit a 19 game it would probably be the iowa state one yeah yeah, you know, uh, ah, so man, the, I, the, the, the reason I have this one, partial, part of the reason why I have this one more than the 2019 game, there's something special about winning on the road in front of 84,000. Um, but also Kansas State, this was the Big 12 opener. And when they beat them in 2019, I believe K-State already had two Big 12 losses. Yeah, they did. So it didn't feel likely that you were going to have a chance to get to the Big 12 title at that point. This sets the stage now to where you have a tiebreaker right out of the gate on the best Big 12, one of the best teams in the Big 12, and position yourselves in a good spot to potentially get to Arlington. There's a lot of football to be played, um, but that, that's kind of where I go with it. John, I wanted to ask you then, from your historical perspective, for me, that was the best win for K-State since 2012. I, I agree year. with that, yeah. So a decade. I, I I saw your yeah. statement about that, and I, I couldn't agree more. I think it was the the best, best, most exciting, most enjoyable win that we've had since. Yep. Yes. So I just I wanted to ask that for some historical context. So I was curious to your guys' opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think like I was trying, 2014. You know, if they would have won the 2014 Auburn game, like maybe that's something. But I, you know, and we're going back pretty far, even into 2014 uh, for that one. I think. 19 comes close to me. 19 was really fun. And it was, yes, the season they had lost to Baylor and Oklahoma State back to back. But there was such a bleak feeling about that season, too, when the offense was that bad in the two opening Big 12 games that cementing kind of the the trudge back up the hill for that team with the win over Oklahoma was a blast. And to do it at home and just, yeah, you're right. There is something about winning on the road and that feeling. There's also something about having to be in your house and the crowd packed and they're playing Mo Bamba as the onside kicks uh, being reviewed and Lincoln Riley's losing his you-know-what on the sideline. Like, I mean, that, that there were some great moments in that game too. But I, I would submit this one because 
let, let's think about everything that goes into this, right? Obviously coming off the Tulane loss, and I know they did this in 2020 with Arkansas State, but I don't think in 2020 people had legitimate aspirations of a Big 12 title. It was also COVID. Things were just weird. It was not – you didn't have the full regalia of a college football season that you do here. And it's like I said last week on the pod, the disappointing thing about the Tulane loss really is that we have this excitement for like taking the next step, competing for a Big 12 championship, and then that excitement is just zapped by mid-September. Well, now it's all back. And it's back in full force because of that win. And I'm I think for, I'm not full force myself. More cautious optimism. Well, okay. I mean, fair enough. Fair enough. But it, it restored. But to Cole's point, like you, you have not only a win to open the Big Twelve schedule, but you have a win over what we would think is one of at least the top two or three teams in the league, and and one of the toughest games that you're going to play in the league. Uh, and you did so because Adrian, it wasn't like a bunch of turnovers and the defense won the game. It was Adrian Martinez played better and the offense now has restored hope. I think it's so much about it, the way it happened, the third and 16 play, you have this like, you know, I know people kind of joke about it, like Heisman moment sort of play for Adrian Martinez, but maybe just, you know, can he be a good quarterback sort of moment for Adrian Martinez on third and 16 with that play? I think all those factors going into it, I I would submit it at least as of right now, as the best win of the climate era. But I also think there's a caveat here, and that is they they have to go back it up. You can't go lose to Texas Tech this week and then be a seven and five team once again, or else maybe maybe then we're starting to have a different discussion about where this lands. So I think as of, as of right now, to me, yes, I would agree. That's the best fair. I will also say, because this is the year where you have five Big 12 road games instead of four and just four Big 12 home games, that you're going to have to win a big one, two, or three, and hopefully it's even more than that on the road. And they got the first one out of the way. Um, yeah. And TCU and West Virginia are two of the more remaining, two of the four remaining ones on the road that seem very winnable, right? TCU still can't really defend anybody. West Virginia is, I don't know if we know what they are yet. I think they're getting pretty good quarterback play, but they have a rough offensive line and still kind of a rough defense themselves, I think. Um, and then what do we got? Baylor and Iowa State. Iowa State at Ames will be tough. They play them in a couple weeks, but Iowa State's really struggling to score. They're not getting great quarterback play from Hunter Deckers at the moment. And Baylor is a shell of themselves compared to the form that they were in last year. Here's the other thing. I, I think that's, I think, look, DY, we disagree on Baylor. I think you're too hard on Baylor. I, I think, I mean, Baylor should have won that game by three touchdowns on, on Saturday in Ames, and, and Shapin did play better. I mean, he had a pretty nice line on Saturday. I think Baylor is still pretty good. I don't think they're explosive enough on offense. Yeah. Uh, I think the other thing that was significant, guys, is Kansas State traditionally doesn't win their Big 12 opener. Uh, oft, how often did we find them digging themselves out of a hole of an 0-1 start? You take away the 2020 COVID season, and the last time K-State started Big 12 play 1-0 was 2017. When they beat Baylor, and that was a that was a very that wasn't a very good Baylor team. They beat them thirty three to twenty. That was expected. But then you got to go all the way back to two thousand fourteen, when Kansas State second game of the year went to Ames and won at Iowa State in a tightly contested game to start Big Twelve play one and zero, setting the stage for that Auburn game the week after. So it's only you take away that COVID season. It's only the second time K State in the last seven eight years that it started one and zero, and. You've got now one of the the better wins in the Big Twelve that's going to exist this season, having uh, right out of the gate off off the schedule now. Well, is it or do you? I know you made a comment in some of your rewatch, like maybe Oklahoma's not that good. I how much of it is? No, I think they're good. Oklahoma's taking a step back. I, I look. I don't know. And they're they're the type of team too because of their makeup, which is a lot of different and and new players that they're going to get a lot better as the season goes on too. So Kansas State's pretty fortunate to play them when they did. Um, I don't. I wouldn't say that they're not good. They're a good team, and, that, and to be honest, they were the best team in the Big Twelve going into that game um, by far. Even though we don't exactly know what they had because of the opponents on the schedule, but you could still watch football and know who's doing things well and who isn't irregardless of the, uh, the competition level. Um, Oklahoma is a good team and in Kansas state getting them now is better because getting them later, I think that's going to be a tall task for the teams that have them at the tail end of the schedule. I really do. It's yeah. kind of the same way. I feel like for Kansas state because they get Baylor at the tail end of the schedule. Yeah. That Baylor game. I had forgotten actually that Baylor was on the road until you guys mentioned that. And uh, it's right before KU, I believe. Yeah. I think Baylor's pretty good. I mean, it's look, this 
what we've learned about the Big 12 is that, I mean, there's no easy out. I mean, even going to West Virginia, I understand that they – but I, I saw this was a really funny tweet, one of my favorite tweets from the weekend. But I think it's it's actually true and provides some perspective. Um, the Smoking Musket, which is a good West Virginia follow, tweeted, uh, tired, West Virginia lost to Kansas. Wired, West Virginia almost beat Kansas. You know what I mean? So, like, our, our opinion may change, I guess, is the point on – West Virginia because everybody sees them lose to KU and just writes that thing off. Well, I mean, Kansas looks like a bowl team right now. So I, there's just going to be no easy out through the rest of the schedule. It's going to be tough. And I would imagine that that is the basis because the other thing I was going to ask Derek, that's the basis of your trepidation for saying that you're back in full bore on the, head of the Arlington train. This, this, this league is going to be, I mean, it's going to look like a mash unit by the end of the season. I mean, do we know if the, if a team, I mean, if you go seven and two in this league, you're definitely in Arlington because. Oh, I would totally agree with that. Seven, seven and two will get you to Arlington at this yeah. point. And uh, it, even worse than that, I'm not so sure that there will be a six and three team in Arlington. Well, that's where tiebreakers will become important. And that's where that went over OU could really help K-State uh, when you look at the schedule. And yeah, I think if you're a Kansas State fan, at least from my perspective, if they can go two and one over these next three games. You're you're sitting in a decent spot. Got a got just for the entirety of the season. Um, how to kind of look at this? Go hold serve at home. That's what you got to do. But and you're yeah. gonna put yourself in a great position. If you hold serve at home, and That's then when when uh, you got to win at least one more road game. But uh, you know, I think if you split the TCU Iowa State game, beat Texas Tech at home, and you're sitting three and one in the Big Twelve with only two of your Big Twelve road games remaining at that point. I think that's that's a pretty good spot. I know Kurtz wants Iowa State bad, but I was thinking gonna gonna need a win in Ames, Cole. Gonna need a win in Ames. Uh, losing yeah. or whatever. Gonna need a win in Ames. I know that that's one you you want to have selfishly, but if we're talking around to the Arlington, I think that's what we're doing here. I say I would say hold serve at home, and then I think the the more winnable games on the road are TCU and West Virginia. That I I, I will say I did watch. That whole Iowa State Baylor game, and I, I know Baylor's defense is pretty good. Uh, I think that Iowa State offense has a lot of weak. Issues. Yeah, they have issues. And Hunter Decker's some of the throws he makes, the ball just sails; it floats, and he throws a pretty pickable, interceptable pass, the interceptable ball. So reminds me of another uh, Iowa State quarterback. Yeah, yeah. So I think K State can go in there. Yeah. I, John, you didn't even mention, I mean, on the season preview pod, everyone go back and listen to it just a month ago. We all predicted K-State to beat Oklahoma. And I none of that we never wavered, right? <laughs> just don't those, listen to last week's show. And for those no, you know, we, we would never spend a pregame pod for the Oklahoma game talking about basketball for two thirds of it. <laughs> we wouldn't why, does anybody do that? I don't we didn't do that, did we? Yeah, check it out though. It's good. <laughs> for 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 those freaking out, we we're not looking at past Texas Tech. We will have a Texas Tech preview pod later in the week. We're talking well, about every team but Texas Tech. Let's let's wrap it up here with just a, a quick thought on that heading into that game, right? So, I I watched a, a, a parts of Texas Tech live against Texas, and then I watched like a twenty five minute highlight cut up of it last night. And I mean Texas Tech, I think the and I had someone who really like you, Derek is a kind of a film junkie and breaks things down in the big 12 and was DMing me last night. And was, I was like, what do you think of tech? And he was like, well, K-State's D line should torch their, their offensive line. Um, but he was like, Donovan Smith is the real deal. So there you go, Cole. There you go. Uh, see, Donovan I, Smith, your boy. I, I'm a little, see, I would probably push back on that. I mean, Donovan Smith had a worse quarterback rating than Adrian Martinez going into uh, Saturday's game. But in a totally different kind of way, he's thrown backbreaking pick sixes. Like he's, he will try to make plays, and he did against Texas. I mean, over and over again, they were yeah. six of eight on fourth down I would, I would against say Texas. His, like his, now, maybe some of that is Joey McGuire trying to be Riverboat Ron. It's not going to work out long term eventually. Yeah, but uh, they're, I they're think, rash and confident, and Donovan Smith really is himself as a quarterback too. So they, I mean, they have a dude who's made some big plays against. I don't know what you want to classify Texas as. Who the hell knows at this point? There's, there's aggressive. The pulse. There's aggressive and there's reckless. And if you get to the latter, that's not good football. That's just bad decision-making, in my he's, opinion. He's kind of Spencer Sanders-esque. Maybe. I think Spencer Sanders has really reeled it in the last year or two, though. Well, uh, yeah, like top, an early version, an unrefined yeah. version of Spencer Sanders. Yeah, That's fair. I think Donovan Smith, I guess it, for Texas Tech, it'll depend on what Donovan Smith you get. But I think he's too reckless to really be worthy of that kind of compliment myself. 
Well, I guess the the point being, I think what what I have seen from Tech, their defense still has problems, but I think it's it's already they're improved. They're I, better. Yeah. They're, they are they are much. I mean, it's not a pushover defense at all. They, I mean, NC State that's a really good offense, a really good quarterback, and they I think they gave up twenty seven points, one of which was a Donovan Smith pick six. Uh, so their defense really held up pretty well against NC State. I think their defense is a lot better. I think they're just tougher, like Matt Matt Wells and Cliff Kingsbury. Obviously, they just felt a little. I mean, look at the game last year in in Lubbock. They have that in control. That was a real turning point for, honestly, the climbing era. The fact that K State pulled that one out of the fire in Lubbock last year, and I still am not totally sure how they did. But it was like Felix makes one play, gets a safety, and Tech kind of wilts. I don't think it's that kind of Texas Tech team anymore. You're you're gonna have to earn it more than than you would have in the past against tech that's that's my initial impression here of, of the red raiders yeah flawed flawed but tougher and grittier they are tougher and tim de is now their defensive coordinator and he's a solid defensive minded coach so they have that going for him uh well i haven't i haven't watched a lot of tech yet so we'll dive into the numbers and everything and i'll give them a watch before our thursday preview show but k-state will definitely have to be ready to play um, for an 11 a.m. kick. So uh, you got to be locked in every week. I, th- I think we've learned uh, that you can't take any game for granted, and each week is a new week. So K-State doesn't come ready to play. We can assure you Texas Tech's a heck of a lot better than Tulane. And so we know know what happens if you don't come prepared to play and you overlook it. It's going to be really interesting, both teams' mindsets mentally, because that was a huge win for Texas Tech. The hangover, and, yeah, the hangover yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, and obviously a huge win for Kansas State. Um, so which team comes in more focused from the start is going to be crucial. I like Kansas State to do that because the coaching staff is going to remind them all week because they've been through it already because of what happened yeah. to Tulane. Yeah. So I, I think they'll be locked in and focused. Yeah, fair, fair point. On I mean, te- Texas Tech just beat Texas for the first time since 2008 at home. So that, that was a huge win and obviously a lot of – uh, overly raucous celebration. You see the guy that I know you got to run here, Cole. You see the guy, oh, I'm fine. Shoved, I'm fine. The, the guy that shoved the Texas player. It reminded me of uh, the good old Nathan Power incident, you know, chicken winging Jamari trailer. <laughs> yeah, there, there was more horns down in one camera shot than I think I've ever seen in my entire life during that tech celebration. <laughs> John just kept showing me video clips of uh, of him doing it like one guy running. On yeah, what was, was it, John? One guy ran right up to the cheerleaders and Bevo. Yeah, and, uh, no, I. Uh, I, I am not a – I hate Barstool, but it was one of those Barstool guys, Dana Beers or whatever. I don't even really fully understand the bit. But he was at Tech, and he he's running down. I will admit, this is very funny. He's He starts a live video where he's run, he's jumping over the barrier to get down on the field, and you just see, like, nothing. You know, it looks like Blair Witch Project for a while. Then finally, when the camera comes up, he is, like, face-to-face with the entire Texas cheer squad and just – straight up drops the horns down like right in front of these like face to face right in front of these people and uh, it was very funny there was also someone got a, a still shot just a picture of flashing their own horns down out at a texas defensive lineman who is at the si- same time simultaneously giving them the finger uh which was just an incredible image uh so yeah there was there was a lot from that texas tech definitely had some fun but you're right both fan bases both teams in the same position as far as that goes tech's pretty battle tested they've they been in a was that an overtime game against Houston yeah. uh they went on the road to play NC State who's a top 15 team and they just beat Texas also in in overtime like that it's a really battle tested team so far this year battle tested is a good way to describe them although I will say playing a competitive game against Houston does not look too flattering at the moment correct but that was also week one right yeah but who, week, week, Houston, week two week Houston, two, week Houston, two. Houston, Houston's lucky they didn't lose to Rice last week they are. They are. Yeah. Did they um, almost lose to Rice? They, yes. they did. Yeah, it was oh. tied late. They they scored late. To I win. didn't know that. Is, didn't someone call Houston a fraud and not to take much merit in a victory that occurred a couple weeks ago? Uh, did I say that? You yeah. did. Well, so, I'm not going to mention that school's name that because no more mentioning that well, school's name on this pod because we know what happens when Cole mentions that school's name. We get a little off the rails. On, uh, well, we only talk about top 25 schools here on this pod. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. We didn't even mention we Kansas State's rank. Top 25. Our producer just uh, messaged us to Houston and Tulane play this week. That'll be oh, an interesting wow. game. Uh, yeah, by the way, we mentioned this on postgame. Tulane lost at home to Southern Miss on Saturday. So <laughs> well, but Southern, Southern Miss is a really, really good team. Guys. Yeah, so, so is Tulane. Yeah, playoff yep. teams. Yep. How's that going to affect our, our RPI? Is that a quad one loss BC, now? Our BCS, uh, our BCS computer ranking. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, 
promptly off the rails to end here. I think that's going to wrap it up for us. But uh, fun pod once again. We'll be back at it this week. Um, you know, maybe maybe a couple little bonus pods coming your way too, in addition to the uh, the preview for for Texas Tech later this week. So be looking for all that. Uh, follow us here, share us, uh, give us likes, rate us, review us. We probably don't say that enough, but that always uh, helps us out too. Shout out to uh, Holiday Distillery. Thanks for everything they do to help us with the pod. Go check out the 360 Vodka, the Ben Holiday Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Uh, for Jed Marshall and Tucker Franklin behind the scenes, appreciate their work as always. Derek Young, Cole Manbeck, I'm John Kurtz signing off. Thanks for listening to another three. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.